Whoa. Well, would you look at that? It's another episode of Impact Is Zone. We, we sincerely apologize for how long it's been since the season debut in which we recapped Michigan State's loss to Gonzaga um, and then previewed some of the rest of the season. Myself, Brennan Shabath, along with Michael Markoch and Luca Maloney, the beat writers and reporters here at Impact for the men's basketball team here at Michigan State University. Uh, guys, it's been a whirlwind of uh, three weeks um, since our last episode, and we finally have time to sit down and discuss this team, and there is a lot to discuss um, from the trip to Portland to the game against Kentucky to Malik Hall getting injured and Joey Hauser and all this stuff that has gone on around this team. Um, but finals week is happening. But for us Jern kids, for the most part, we can relax a little bit now as we're recording here on Monday, December 12th. Luca, we'll start with you. You went to that trip um, to Portland with me and Zach Slowick um, to cover those games for the men's and the women's team. Um, that was a lot of fun. We had a blast out in Portland. It was a lot of work, too. Five games in four days. But Michigan State played pretty well when they were out there, and I think they had some positives to take away from that trip. Yeah, absolutely. Going 2-1 and one and the only loss was to Alabama. You know, I would say Izzo is going to say it's a, it's a pretty successful trip given the circumstances, given the situations with the limited availability of some of the players that weren't there. Obviously, Malik Hall, Jaden Akins, although Akins didn't have the boot on back in Portland. He still wasn't warming up just yet, so he didn't get game time on the court till he came back. But other than that, the Portland trip, I think, was a good experience for those players. I think they had a good time, played a lot of different teams that they don't see regularly at all. You know, I mean, the last time they played Oregon was back in the 80s. So really interesting to see. Yeah, last matchup against Alabama was 1998 before this season, and them losing to Alabama is, uh, you know, not a knock. I think Michigan State's obviously a lot closer in that game. They probably win that game with Malik Hall on the floor. Maybe um, Brandon Miller was a force to be dealt with. He and we sure knew that was. going in, and he didn't disappoint on his end. Yeah, Alabama's a great team. They were ranked 18 going into that game. That was way too low. Um, I think they're one of the best teams in the country. They're Nate, fourth right now. Yeah, NATO has a, has a fantastic team. Um, and Michael, you were watching from home, and then you got to do the games uh, since the return, the Northwestern game um, in East Lansing, as well as the most recent win over Brown. Um, what has been your uh, your first thought about this team um, since they've gotten back from Portland? They look exhausted. Um, and I think we definitely saw it in that Notre Dame game right when they came back. I mean, obviously we were not at that game, but watching that just on TV, they got off to just the worst start imaginable. Um, rotations were slow on defense. It was just open shooter after open shooter, and they just weren't – it just looked like on offense their legs weren't there either. Then they come home, they play Northwestern, and it was kind of more of the same. Northwestern's a very good defensive team. They're really going to grind you down low, especially with their guards, and you know they just couldn't match that intensity. And it seemed like Izzo was very – frustrated by that because he kind of knew like this isn't what my team is but this is what we are right now because of just how tired they are and he's been talking about it for the last you know week of we just need some time off and I, they finally have it um, but I think they played a lot better against Brown especially on the defensive side of the ball um, and we'll see how that goes here in you know the next couple games and I want to talk about that Northwestern loss at home because I don't know about you guys but for me it was one that I kind of saw coming, and not just because of the exhaustion that this team has had and that they were, what, 
three or four days removed, returning from Notre Dame and suffering a, a beatdown in South Bend. Um, but Northwestern has Michigan State's number. Um, and Boo Booie just loves playing against the green and white. He's like he's like a bull when he sees red, except it's green for Michigan State. And um, the, the fan base has since come around a little bit in the last two games with wins over Penn State and Brown. But after that Northwestern game, I saw a lot of stuff on Twitter um, and just in, in conversations here on campus. Uh, people were not happy, very upset with, with the Northwestern loss. And Michigan State could have and should have won that game. They, they, they should have played better. They didn't make the plays down the stretch that they needed to. They net, they let Northwestern hang around. There were many times in that first half they'd get up seven or nine or five, and they couldn't quite break through. They would let Northwestern back in uh, with a big three or something like that. But my biggest takeaway from that game against Northwestern is that these games without Malik Hall do not matter. They don't even count in my mind. There, You cannot judge this team without Malik Hall. He is the straw that stirs the drink. He adds so much versatility on offense. He can guard one through five defensively. There's so much more that he brings to the table when he's on the floor. And then they're playing a winded Jaden Akins who's still not 100%, uh, I think, as far as his stamina. And his foot's probably not 100% either. So people were so upset about this loss to Northwestern. And I was like, guys... It's December. Let's let's take a break, take a step back, realize what we have. You know, they need to get healthy before this Big Ten season starts. I don't know. How were you guys feeling after that loss to Northwestern? Yeah, it's like obviously you don't want to read the headline and it says Michigan State loses Big Ten opener against Northwestern. You know, that doesn't make anybody happy in this program and the fan base. But it's the reality. They weren't good enough. They physically weren't good enough to to handle a Northwestern team that, quite frankly, got more rest, probably had more reps in practice than Michigan State has, and that's the reality of the situation. Michigan State has right now their first break in forever. Tom Izzo called it 11 games of hell in the post-game press conference after Brown, and it, that's really the the stance where the team is at. You know, They get a little bit of time to unwind mentally and physically and then get back in the gym. Yeah, I, I think it's a little overblown. I mean, obviously... It, you're right, Luca. It's not great when you see, you know, they lose to Northwestern. But I mean, of course, me and Brendan watching the whole game and broadcasting that game. I mean, Chris Collins is a very good coach over there at Northwestern, and they've won now three out of four against Michigan State in in their last four meetings. So, you know, this is a team that just has historically played well. We talked about Boo Booey's success, but I mean, Boo Booey's just a dog. Yeah, he's I been there since I, I was in high school. Him. I love his game, dude. I know yeah. he's been around for a long time. Michigan State fans hate him, but as a basketball yeah. player. Man, he's fun to watch. I mean, he, he hit just, that shot late in the game where Michigan State, leg, Michigan yeah. State's about level score. I yeah. think Michigan State was down one, and they come down the other floor, and everyone's like, "Okay, if, they, if Michigan State can get one stop, they can go down and win it." And Boo Booey just made a tough up and under layup over. I think it was, it was Hogard. Hogard and Hogard got yeah. beat defensively on the screen, uh-huh. and he raced to the block to beat Bowie to the spot. It was a great defensive play. And when he jumped, I was like, "Oh, that's blocked for sure. Yeah. No way Bowie makes and he that." Double pumped and, and put he it up. Hung for so long, man. And what a what a good bucket. Yeah. You got it. You, you, you have to respect yeah. the game where it is. And, and yeah, I mean, it, he played great yeah. basketball for all the minutes that he was on the court. You know, and Boo Booey. I mean, he's a Spartan killer. I mean, I don't know what else they could have done in that game other than. You know, physical preparedness to yeah. match that, and it, it just didn't happen. Yeah, yeah, and so I just think overall, like 
you're right. You, you got to give credit to Northwestern credit. That's a good team. That's probably going to be hanging around the middle of the Big Ten. You would think they yeah. might. They might. Their years of being in the bottom might be over. Uh, this is a very competitive conference. Northwestern is, yeah. you know, just it, they're in the thick of it just as much. So, you know, after that Notre Dame loss, I, I I get it. It was probably more of the stink of that Notre Dame loss, kind of move like you know molding over that Northwestern loss too. Um, but at the end of the day, they came back, were able to bounce back, get two big wins, and I, I think they're going to be fine. Yeah, and you know, talking about this Northwestern team, they have a really good opportunity to play spoiler here. I think, you know, you look at Purdue's now ranked number one. Mm -hmm. Indiana keeps winning. They're going to move up in the rankings as well. And we talked about this on Impact's uh, Sunday morning sports talk show, the Green and White Report, this past Sunday. The overdogs in college basketball, man, it is just an awful year to be number one or number 10 or in the top 25 and play anybody lower than you because you're going to lose. It's just going to happen. Illinois beats number two Texas and then two days later loses at home to unranked Penn State, who Michigan State just beat. So by the transitive property, Michigan State beat the second best team in the country in Texas when you think about it. But, I mean, this is where I see a team like Northwestern for, for, for those Big Ten teams Michigan State has a chance to get ranked again moving forward. Illinois is really good. Indiana is really good. Purdue is really good, obviously. This is where I see Northwestern like, hey, we're going to come mess with you guys and, and take that little number away from your name and make it a bigger number. Um, and I think once we move into the Big Ten tournament, I could see Northwestern in the semifinals and the quarterfinals, knocking off a team who's a bubble, maybe needs a couple wins in the tourney to, to solidify like their Penn spot State's in the NCAA been tournament. For what, yeah, like four years exactly, in a row. Exactly, right. Yeah. And so, so, I mean, the, the Northwestern – do not sleep on them. Catch their games if you can. This is going to be a good team. Moving on from the Wildcats, Michigan State picked up a very big win on the road at Penn State. A tough place to play, even if it's on a Wednesday in the middle of December. I don't care. It's still not an easy arena. Um, Micah Shrewsbury is a is a very good coach. Um, I think he's going to do big things at Penn State if he has if he's given enough time, and, and he should because the timeline at Penn State is. Uh, if you start to win, we don't care, you know. But they're not in a rush to win right now because they haven't won before, really. Um, but that's a good Penn State team, and any Big Ten win on the road is is good. That probably goes in as a quad two win by the time it's all said and done at the end of the year for Michigan State. Um, and AJ Hogart, man, he came off the bench against Northwestern because Tom Izzo said I wanted to light a fire under him, and mission accomplished. AJ has now had sixty two points. In the last three games for Michigan State, he had a career-high 23 against Penn State and then 17 in the win over Brown here in East Lansing. Uh, I I love the way A.J. is playing right now. He's He's got that eye of the tiger. That The confidence is off the charts for him. He's he's checking his veins for ice every bucket he makes. It, and, and I'm here for it, man. He, he He's a lot of fun to watch, and he's one of those guys who once his confidence gets up, it takes a lot, I think, to bring it down. Um, and, and this could bode very well for Michigan State moving forward. Yeah, I mean, A.J., when he gets the ball, good things start to happen. And when you get a healthy A.J. going full speed, it's like he's running downhill. you know. And I think sometimes it's a bit of a struggle for the Spartan players, too, to kind of catch up with his speed, especially right now where they're not at 100%. Most players are playing like under 70% fitness. They struggle a little bit with that, but it's nice to see them start building a rhythm again. And, you know, on this podcast, the first episode we did, I thought that A.J. Hogarth would be the leading scorer of this team. He's not there right now. He probably won't end up there, 
But over the last few games, they've needed him to shoot the ball, and he sure has. I mean, he even he's been shooting the three ball. Even he's been you know, yeah. going out behind the three point line, putting up shot. I mean, even Izzo said after the Brown game, he he took the one shot that he didn't like against Brown. It was after he made the first one. They come back down the floor, and he kind of put up that second one for a little deep. But he said if 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 AJ is only putting up one bad shot a game, I'm a very happy coach. Right, and. He's just been so aggressive, so assertive. Of course, 40 points in the last two games, and they've needed all of those points in order to get their victories. So, you know, he's on a trajectory right now where they need him, especially with Malik Hall out of being kind of that leader extended on the floor, especially from the point guard position. Yeah, AJ, 13.1 points per game, just a little bit behind Joey and Tyson, uh, who are right around the 14 mark. Um, And Joey Hauser, what a cool moment that was against Brown. And perhaps nobody that deserved it more. Um, started the season really well. Didn't have a great game against Gonzaga, but he had a big game against Northern Arizona. Um, he had a big game against Kentucky. Um, and then the last few, he has really shined. Um, double-double against Penn State. Uh, 22, I believe it was, against Brown. Um, and he reaches the 1,000-point mark. I don't think there's a more deserving player on this team of the Joey, Joey, Joey chant that the Izzo gave him uh, after reaching a thousand points, and he didn't even know that, that he got there. Um, but he he really has worked very hard, and Izzo has said it a lot. And I think a lot of us in the media who are at these press conferences, and a lot of us fans who see what Izzo says, um, Izzo's been saying these things ever since Joey got here, and. I think it took a while for us to really believe him because we're like, okay, yeah, you say all this stuff, but then he goes out and has five points and or two points or whatnot. Um, but I have been really impressed. The way he ended last season with his career high against Davidson in the NCAA tournament and the way he started this year with the game against Kentucky, Northern Arizona, stuff like that. I said, oh, maybe, maybe Joey is here. Maybe he's kind of turned a corner with his confidence, with his playmaking ability, his decision-making um, and he dwindled a little bit for a couple games, but he has solidified himself now in the last three or four as a key piece that Michigan State needs to play well moving forward. I just love what we're seeing from Joey Hauser, and the way he is shooting the three ball adds so much to this offense that they can do. Yeah, like you said, his shooting has been so pure, and when you see a guy like Joey Hauser in the locker room, the guys love him, and you know he keeps a humble attitude. And for me, that's the biggest thing that you can take away from a guy like him is that his humble attitude, his you know smile on his face, it it's contagious. It's contagious to the rest of the group, and when the rest of the group really likes him, and there have been a couple players already on this Michigan State men's basketball team that have had their moments. You know, team huddles over Mati Sissoko after Kentucky. You know, they huddle over AJ after Penn State. You know, there's just a a connect a connectiveness inside this Michigan State team that leads you to believe they're in a better place where they are mentally to finish games and really compete. And I mean, you saw Joey smile after he reached that thousand point mark. It was up on the jumbotron, and like I mean, like you said, he didn't even know that he did it. But once he realized it, like, when's the last time that we've seen him smile like that? Right. Like just pure like he knew that he just did something special, and you're right, there's no one more deserving. But you look at his shooting splits this season, 47% from the field and 42% from three. I mean, those are insane numbers. He's making almost one out of every two baskets. And so, 
at the end of the day, he's been whenever Michigan State has needed a bucket the most, Joey Hauser's the one they go to, whether they're getting him off that little curl screen, getting him those nice little mid-ranges on the elbow, little pick and pop from behind the three, or even getting him the ball down low like we saw against Brown, let him go to work down there and get a bucket. He's been able to do it all, and he's he's definitely had a great year. And that's the thing, Michael. You know, I think last season you didn't see Joey, you know, get the ball at the top of the elbow, take a dribble, and then pull up from the mid-range mm-hmm. from like 12 feet. You didn't see that at all. Joey Hauser dribbling the ball last year? <laughs> yeah. No way. You're right. It, it, just, it, it, never, it never happened. They yeah. had him as a catch and shoot, and yeah. this season you just see that guy who's taking a dribble, beating one, two players, and going to the rim. It's you know, it adds a different element to this to his game that he's gained in this year that is making him a special player and the go to man while Malik Hall is out and while AJ's getting that confidence back. Right. And so with how good Joey and AJ and Tyson are all playing. I think the next step is to look at the areas of improvement. Um, I think we're probably at the cap for some of these guys. Tyson averaging 14 and 4 right now. The assists are probably going to go up with just the way he passed the ball last year, but he does need to score more. They need that production from him, which is where the assists come down from. Joey's at 14 and 7. That's probably his benchmark. You know, it'll tick a few ways here or there as the season progresses. Um, Obviously, Malik is not playing right now. Only four games for him this year. Um, I think Aikens is someone we can look to. To I mean, Aikens could average 9, 10, 11 if he wants this year. It's just about getting the shots and about getting out in transition. They still don't have the fast break yet. They're not quite there. Um, and part of that is, like as I talked about after Brown, they haven't had any time to work on themselves. It's all been game prep. So you work on your offense against your next opponent and your defense against your next opponent, and that's it. You don't really have time to work through the kinks of the fast break and the press break and the out-of-bounds sets and stuff like that. So that's where I think they have a really good chance here with Aikens moving forward to get the numbers up for him, get some more shots for him, make let him make some more plays but he has to get on the treadmill and start running because it, it was pretty bad against Northwestern, the lack of stamina that he had. And it's understandable. He just he had surgery since pretty much the start of the year where the practices have really picked up. Um, he hasn't been able to run with them. Um, so now he has the time to rest and, and get back. Um, but I think the biggest surprise for me and I'll let you guys make your picks, but for me, it's been Monty Sissoko, and and it's a surprise, not in a good way. Mm-hmm. Um, six and six for Sissoko right now through eleven games, but the way he played against Gonzaga and Kentucky, against two of the best bigs in the country, and Drew Timmy and Oscar Sheebway, you felt like this might be a fourteen and eight kind of year for Maudie. And he's rebounded the ball very well. Um he's second in rebounding behind Joey right now, um, with six a game. But the offensive production looked like it was there through the first couple games. And since then he has just not been able to score the ball. And he still is raw and he still doesn't have that touch around the rim like some of the best bigs that he has gone up against and that he'll face moving forward um, here in the Big Ten. But on nights where the shooting doesn't come for Michigan State, like a game against Alabama or a game against Northwestern or even Brown, they struggled to shoot the ball in the first half, um, they're going to need Maudie to to turn it around and 
be able to put some points on the boards, add a threat down low in the paint. If they're content with letting him go to work and missing shots, Michigan State's going to be in trouble if their opponents are, that is. Um, so what about you guys? Who's Who, who are you looking to, uh, Michael, we'll start with you, maybe make some steps moving forward um, as a piece of improvement? I, I think Monty's the big one. Um for me at least, but what about you? I mean, I would agree. I think we've definitely seen kind of a regression there for Maudie, but someone that I'd like to see a little bit more out of is Pierre Brooks. Um, not just, I guess, on the offensive end, he is still a little bit tick up from where he was last year, but he's just so hot or cold. Like, he'll come out of a game and he'll be hitting four threes out of the corner. He's not going to be making anything at all. And even on the defensive side, I know that Tom Izzo really wants him to step up and he wants him to be the guy outside when he comes off the bench of when AJ's not out there, when Tyson's not out there, I can put Pierre on your best player and Pierre can shut them down. And so far, he hasn't been able to do that. He's been inconsistent there as well. So it's just kind of, you know, continuing to take those steps of progression. He, you know, it's only year two for him. but And we have seen, like I said, flashes of, you know, improvement from last year, especially from behind the arc. But, you know, he can't just go quiet and disappear during certain games. He's got to at least be able to make one when you need him to out of the corner like, and you know, play defense on the best defender when you need him to as well. Yeah, that's the biggest thing for me with Pierre, too, is defensively. Like, he's long enough and fast enough to be a threat, and you can put him on some of the better players on their opponents. They tried him on Brandon Miller against Alabama. Um, we saw what Brandon Miller did. Now, I, I will admit that not all those buckets are against Pierre. Um, yeah, and there was very few matchups that could have gone against Brandon Miller. Yeah, that's team, where like, oh, team. Malik Hall, perfect. Oh, wait, he's yeah, not going to yeah. be able to play. But um, I think for Pierre, too, he needs to realize, because I have seen a lot of Pierre Brooks footage and live game footage over my years. I, I got to see him in high school before he even came to Michigan State, and I watched a lot of his high school games at Frederick Douglass um, when they, where they won a state championship. And I think he needs to understand and realize, and this is where I think the coaching staff comes in, he needs the confidence to realize that he can put the ball on the damn floor, dude. Like, like I have seen Pierre do some things driving to the basket um, and manipulating defenders with Tyson and Joey and AJ and Malik and Maudie. Pierre's probably getting the worst defender of the opponent's starting five or whoever the five is out there. Um, I, I think if I'm an opposing coach, I'm focusing all my attention defensively on those four. If Aikens and Pierre Brooks are on the, the floor at the same time, I'm putting my better defender on Aikens. So Pierre can use that to his advantage and take it to the rack. And, and he's, he's a smart basketball player, man. He's smart enough to just because you put the ball on the floor doesn't mean you got to go score, but do that. And then you've got three point shooters somewhere else. You've got a guy you can lob it to down low in Maudie Sissoko. I mean, we've seen AJ get a, get a foot into the lane and be like, all right, here you go, and just throw it up. And Maudie will go and find it. Uh, but Luca, what about you? Who are you looking to improve? So to comment a little bit before I get into like my personal pick for who needs a little bit more improvement, uh, I want to touch on Pierre Brooks a little bit more. He has made some of the toughest shots I've seen out mm -hmm. of any player. He really has. Team. Yeah, he's hand made, in the he's, face. He's, yeah. yeah, hand I in agree. the face. Complete. You know, shots that you know have almost a slim chance of going in just by how well defended it is, and he makes those shots. But then sometimes he doesn't make the open shots or the slightly less contested shots that he should be draining. They're just bouncing in and out of the rim, and sometimes just completely off target. So if you know if he can get some shots up during the next uh, you know two weeks of practice, you know. Hit those shots, you know, when you're they're, they're doing open court stuff. You know, I think he can have a good spurt going into January in his scoring. 
but he does got to improve on that consistency because he has that tool bag there with him. And then now onto a player who I think should be performing a little bit better and I want to see take more control of the game specifically down the stretch is Tyson Walker. I really want to see him uh, have the ball in his hands, sharing it between him and AJ as as the guards of this team, and really take a little bit more control. You know, I want the ball when you know when the ball is going down with two minutes left. I want the ball in his hands. I want him with AJ combining to see what they can do. And I, I don't think we've seen that enough yet. Yeah, I think the only thing with Tyson handling it in late game situations, I think he needs to be better about not needing to get a shot in those. I think he could be a really good facilitator in those spots, and it seems like a lot of times when he has the ball in a late-game situation, he's only looking to score, and he's great at that. We've seen the moments. We've seen the buzzer beaters time and time again how good he's been in the clutch, um, whether it's against Illinois or Purdue last year or Kentucky this season. Um, He's been their go-to guy when they need a bucket, but not only do I know that, but so do all the other opponents. So they're they're, they're game planning for that. They understand that. Um, And so, again, use that to your advantage and find a way to facilitate better. There were so many times, and and I wanted to ask Izzo about this, and I haven't had the opportunity. What Northwestern did really well in the second half of their win here in East Lansing, they changed their game plan on ball screens. Michigan State loves the high screen. They get Hogard or Walker moving to their dominant hand to the right, um, and Sissoko rolling to the paint. That that left side of the floor is usually cleared out or someone's going to go trail for a floating three back there. They get a lot of options on that high screen action. Um, what Northwestern did really well in that second half is they changed their game plan, and they hedged very hard on the ball handler, and they pushed them all the way back towards half court. One thing I was always impressed by when I watched Cassius Winston in high school and here at Michigan State was his ability to receive a hedge like that and somehow still get the ball to the roller down low. Because as a defense, you leave that big man that's setting the screen open for so long, but the intent is that you cut off the angle from the point guard to make that pass and you have a help defender near enough where that's not going to be a good pass. Somehow Cassius Winston was always able to make the pass and get it down there. I'm wondering why A.J. and Tyson can't do that. Um, And so what I want to see is Tyson kind of develop that ability to, you don't have to just get into the mid-range and hit a jumper off a screen. You know, you can shot fake, find somebody, drive and dish, draw a help defender and kick it out to somebody else for a three. Um, Obviously, as a playmaker and a shooter, he's probably the best guy they have in late game situations. But I think you're right. Uh, He can be a much better facilitator in that spot moving forward too. And I think as well, like you're seeing it on the offensive side, maybe because he's, I mean, he's working very hard on defense, especially late in games. I mean, he stepped up big time late when, you know, you need a stop, you put Tyson Walker on the ball handler, or he'll, he's going to jump a passing lane, he's going to find a way to get a steal for you, pick a pocket, do something like that. So when you're using a lot of that energy on the defensive side, it's a lot to ask then to go down to the other side, make a man miss, and, you know, go to the rack or step back and hit a three. And, it, it's just it's a lot and so again I, I think that has a lot to do with just where they're at injury wise where they're at you know fatigue wise but overall you know you have to like what you've seen from Walker defensively and you just got to hope the offense I guess catches up so there's a few games coming up for Michigan State before they get back into the Big Ten play 
Uh, Rocket Watts. Whoa, that's a name. Uh, he's coming Rings back. He's coming back to East Lansing. <laughs> yeah, uh, he'll make his return with the Oakland Golden Grizzlies. Um, that game is Wednesday, December 21st. Michael and I will be on the call for that one. I believe a 7 p.m. tip. Um, 6.30. 6.30, gotcha. And, and Michigan State should take care of business there. There's not much, you know, that's a game that Michigan State just has to win. That's a, that's a can't lose, <laughs> you know, don't sleep on Oakland, whatever. But um, in Ken Palm, Oakland is ranked 305th out of 363 Division One teams. Uh, Greg Campy and the Grizzlies are... Not having their hottest start, two and nine on the season with wins over Defiance and Eastern Michigan. Defiance is a real school, I guess. Um, so they they should beat Oakland. Buffalo, though, that's Friday, December thirtieth, just before the new year. Buffalo's a good MAC team, Michael. You and I are very high on them. Five and five on the season right now. One hundred eighty seventh in Ken Palm. Um, they're not going to be an easy team for Michigan State to take down. And it seems like those th- these games coming up are the games where Michigan State has really struggled in the past. Are the over the break games? There's less students in the student section. You know, players. It's this weird limbo of like grinding out schoolwork all the way at the end of the semester, and then you got all this free time, but you're doing basketball, and then the semester starts again soon in like two weeks. It's this weird spot to be in as as a college basketball player. And Michigan State in years past has let it affect them um, many times. They really need to take care of business against Oakland and Buffalo. But the, my take on these two games, I don't want to see Malik Hall. I do not want to see him warming up, suiting up, whatever. No reason if, you know, they tell you, you know, they told us a week ago, you know, we're not going to see Malik Hall till probably the New Year's. You know, it, it, they should keep it that way. They're eyeing Nebraska. Yes. Yeah. The time he comes that back. That has yeah. to be because they did it with Josh Langford when he had the stress reaction and he got hurt again. And they did it with Akins and he messed up his foot again. And missed a couple games, and now his stamina is not there. I still think, I still think they're playing Aikens too much. Um, I think it was the game against Northwestern. He was supposed to play ten to twelve minutes. He got twenty two. Yeah, like, like yeah. what are we, what is, what are we doing on this coaching staff that we, you know, we we're, we're not at let, that point. We're not protecting the player as much as they should be. And it's you're not protecting your own team because yeah. you're just setting Aikens up and the rest of the team for failure when you put a guy in a position where he can't succeed. So they, they cannot let Malik Hall play in these games. I'll be thoroughly surprised if they do. I think they understand the um, uh, indications of this situation, um, and they they shouldn't put him out there. But they got to win these games, too, at the same time. And in recent history, this coaching staff has gotten scared when the team is not playing well and maybe in a close game, um, and they feel the need to lean on someone who's not 100%. So I really don't want to see Malik Hall before that Nebraska game, though. I I don't think we will. Um, I I do think though, it, and you kind of touched on this, but it kind of comes down to how they play against Oakland. Like if they look really good against Oakland, get a nice comfortable win, I don't think you would see him against Buffalo. Um, but if they kind of just you know scratch out a really close, maybe a single digit, like low double digit win against Oakland. They may try to rush him back for Buffalo with nine more days between those two games. But Buffalo, like we touched on, they're one of those teams. Like They're not as good as they probably were at their peak with Nate Oates before he left to take the job at Alabama. But they're consistently a top-four team in the MAC, competing to go to the NCAA tournament every single year. They're very physical. They're long. They can shoot the ball very well as well. Like 
Buffalo is not a team you can take lightly in the slightest. Um, and I don't think they will, but I, I think depending on how they play in that Oakland game may you know, dictate whether or not they believe that they would need Billy Call to beat a team like that. Nebraska still has Fred Hoiberg as their head coach. That'll be the game for Michigan State on January 3rd. Uh, they were just close with Purdue, yeah. losing in overtime, 65-62. Man, they, they, Nebraska could have won that game. Um, they got pummeled by Indiana a few days before that. Indiana's a very good team. Uh, a win over Florida State is pretty good for Nebraska as well. Um, and for Fred Hoiberg standards, like I said, that that last game before the students come back to campus is always a tough one. Um, and Nebraska's going to be hyped up in a hostile crowd um, to try to to try to steal a win from Michigan State. So let's create a hypothetical situation here in which Malik Hall returns in that game against Nebraska. Let's say Michigan State goes 2-0 and over the next two. They beat Oakland and Buffalo, taking on Nebraska January 3rd. Um, what expectations are you setting for Malik and his return? Because I just... I don't see a way where he can be the same level that he was. And I don't even think it's an injury thing. I think it's a stamina thing and a reps thing. Um, I don't think he can be the same level that he was prior to his injury um, in, in, in this return from Nebraska. I think it's going to be a couple games. I think they're going to be four or five games away before we really start to ask it, okay, now it's time for Malik Hall to come back. Okay, where is Malik Hall? What, what are you guys thinking against Nebraska? No, you're right. I mean, I wouldn't expect Malik Hall to come out and play the best game of his life against Nebraska. You know, I think that's unrealistic because he needs game reps. You know, this is assuming he's not going to make an appearance against Oakland or Buffalo. He needs game reps, you know, and it's Big Ten game reps. You know, that takes a little bit of time to get adjusted to again. But I think Malik Hall, if, you know, if he's 100% healthy by January 3rd, I think he'll make a big contribution against Nebraska, but I don't think, like I said, he's going to have the game of his life or be the driving force behind this team. Yeah, I mean, I agree. You kind of got to ease him back into it. I, if he does play against Nebraska, you'll probably see him on a on a minutes limit. Uh, he won't play that much, but I mean, right after Nebraska, I mean, this, I mean, it's absurd. I mean, this is the games you're going to need Malik Hall home against Michigan at ranked Wisconsin, at ranked Illinois versus potentially number one Purdue. They are, they're still Even, currently depending, right, they're right now. Depending just, on how... Right, there's no way no Purdue ways. makes it that long, right? But potentially, right. <laughs> okay, okay, at least probably a top 10, top 5 Purdue team. Oh, 100%. Yeah, I mean, but, but also, Purdue's got to play Fletcher Lawyers, Brother, and Foster. They could lose that. They got <laughs> New Orleans and Florida A&M. You can write those off. Rutgers, Ohio State, Penn State, and Nebraska all before they play yeah. Michigan State. They've got to lose one of those, the, right? You would think the Just with the parity in college basketball this year. I don't even care about the matchups. I don't care about how good Zach Eady is. Now, mind you, Zach Eady is one of my favorite players in college basketball. I, mean, I think he could average man, a triple-double. They double almost lost to Nebraska the other day. Like, yeah. They almost lost. They literally just almost lost to Nebraska. Yeah, like, like so, they, they, they have to lose one of these probably. games. Moving they'll lose, and then UConn will be number one, and then UConn will lose. And then, then they'll finally give it to Virginia. Yeah, and then Virginia will get it, and then they'll lose. <laughs> Or Virginia will lose at two to like a fifth ranked team, and it's yeah. whatever. But even after Purdue, then you get Rutgers, and then add another ranked Indiana. That's, I mean, that's a stretch that that's going to define your season right there, and that's all in the month of January. Yeah, we, I mean, we talked about this on the last time we recorded this podcast. Yeah. It, it's that January stretch; those two, three weeks of January are very tough. And it, it the, the timing of Malik's injury just really doesn't bode well because I think fans forget 
how long it takes a player to recover from any injury, let alone something like a foot. Um, and the recovery, like we've talked about, beyond just the actual, ow, my foot hurts. Um, it's ow, my lungs hurt, and yeah. ow, I can't shoot the ball no, because I haven't been doing fo- it. Yeah, it's yeah. mental focus as well to be back on the court and play a game of that intensity, you know, and, right back And I'm it. not going to sit here and say Malik is the strongest mental warrior on the team. We've seen him have his lapses. We've seen him have his games where he's gone out there and got lost, and you kind of forget that he's on the floor. And you look at the box score after, and he played 33 minutes and had nine points and four rebounds. And you're like, where was that? You know, I didn't even see any of that. Um, so the, I really hope Malik, you know, is doing his work and still getting some sort of shots up, um, some sort of training whenever he can um, in this time. But the reality of the situation is nothing is going to help until he can actually get in the game. And I don't think that's until Nebraska. But you're right, Michael, that this schedule coming up, man, I mean. That's when you need him. Obviously, you need him against Michigan. But also, Michigan has really just not looked good this year. Um, They have really struggled. I think they can get by Nebraska and Michigan without Malik being 100%. Which is good because then it's a couple days before you got to take on Wisconsin. So two, like, yeah, two back-to-back week, oh yeah, road games with Wisconsin right and Illinois, two yeah. very difficult places to play. You get a week of Malik being back yeah. before you got to play yeah, Wisconsin. It's four games in nine days. Yeah. Right at that point, right after Michigan. Right. So it, it's going to be tough for Michigan State. I just i I think you're right. They got to keep him on a, on a minutes cap. I mean, yeah, against Nebraska, like. They can beat Nebraska with Malik Hall on a minutes count. You have like, to think. It's got, but 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 what's the number? And and, yeah. and who who holds each other accountable? Because well, yeah, they, they're not do holding it. themselves accountable right yeah. now for Aiken. So like, if the numbers, I'm 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 almost hoping that their number is like ten. Yeah. So then he plays eighteen. Yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, because they if they, may, if they they set the number at fifteen, he's going to play thirty five. They may try the. I mean, Jay Nakins to open the season. They started with. They wanted to do eight in both halves for like a total of 16. Give him like four four-minute bursts in like... I heard they wanted 10. Did they want 10? 10 total. So okay. five and five. Okay. But... I th- they, maybe they ramped it up to eight and eight. Then they started, but, yeah, then he played But 16. they're talking, you look at 10 minutes and you go two-minute bursts. And right. And now we're talking four-minute bursts. So maybe you're looking at Nebraska, maybe that's like your two-minute burst game. Then against Michigan, we can see him maybe... He comes in twice each half for four minute bursts. Yeah, but if you're if you're going back and forth against Nebraska too, and you know yeah. you need him on the floor for that. Extra oh, they're going to put him on the floor. Like, yeah, they the will. Last two, <laughs> you know, they'll you know. put him on oh, the floor. We're, oh, we're at the number. Well, there's only two minutes left. Yeah. Uh, I guess we'll I guess we'll slip him in here. But uh, hopefully the situation is not that that's not the case because um, they Nebraska's a good team and a Big Ten team, and there are no nights off in the Big Ten. But plain and simple, Michigan State should beat Nebraska, um, especially at home. Um, especially with all the rest that they're getting. You know, as I said, now we have time to work on ourselves instead of doing game prep. But also with this break, you get time for game prep as well as working on yourselves. More game prep than you're used to. Um, so they, they they should beat Nebraska, um, definitely. We'll find out here on WDBM. Michael and I will be on the call for all the games over the break. Luca's going to be here writing. Uh, we're, we're getting into the thick of it, into the trenches here for Michigan State after these uh, upcoming two weeks. Um, it's going to be full swing uh, Big Ten season, and it's, it's going to be fun. I mean, we just talked about the schedule. Very excited uh, to bring it your way. 
it should be a blast, guys. I'm really excited to get into this Big Ten schedule. I, I really like this year in college basketball because of the parody, because of the back and forth. We don't know who's good. Who Anybody can beat anybody on a given night, and I know that's so cliche, but it really feels true through the first 12 games of the season for all these teams. And I touched on it when I saw the poll come out around you know, whatever noon today. Six Big Ten teams in the poll. Obviously, Michigan State not being one of those, but Michigan State's going to have their opportunities to boost that resume. Yeah. Like it, it's not going to matter. They're playing all these teams, and they're probably all going to be hovering around ranked. And there's still a lot more on the outside looking in with Michigan State that it's it, it's going to be a gauntlet, but it's going to give them a ton of opportunities to help improve. I know you guys remember when UNC was like in the top ten when we went to Portland. UNC was number one, one? when we arrived. <laughs> they, in were Portland. One. they were number one. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they're they're like not and, even and getting they're, votes. They're not even here anymore. They're not even getting votes like right now. <laughs> yeah, they boy, it is all so, gone. It's it's a whirlwind of what things could happen in the next few weeks. Yeah, no pun intended, but it has all gone downhill in Chapel Hill for North Carolina. I mean. Man, Hubert Davis, four losses in a row. Iowa State, Bama, Indiana, and Virginia Tech, four in a row. I mean, they got to play the Citadel coming up soon. So that's, I don't know, that's a tough one for UNC. That might be the get right game, I I bet. (laughs) Yeah, the the get right game. Put me in that one, Coach. Anyways, Michigan State takes on Oakland December 21st, 6.30 from the Breslin Center here in East Lansing. Michael and I will be on the call. Luca will be live tweeting and writing. We're going to have all your coverage there. But stay tuned. We promise we're getting on a schedule. We have a lot more free time now that uh, classes are over and finals are over. We're in break. We'll have Impact Is Zone regularly. Thank you so much for joining us. This has been WDBM's The Impact Is Zone right here on Impact 89FM.